Jesus is ours and we are His. There is no greater love, no greater truth than that. We are in the Gospel of Luke. I'm your scripture reader this morning. So find Luke chapter 3, everybody. Luke chapter 3, page 858 in the Pew Bible. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home. Luke chapter 3. We're going to begin at verse 15, verse 15, Luke 3, verse 15. It says, as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, that's John the Baptist, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in His hand to clear His threshing floor and to gather the wheat into His barn, but the chaff He will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, He preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, "'You are my beloved Son,' with you I am well pleased. Then look at verse 23. Jesus, when He began His ministry, was about 30 years of age. And then you're going to see a genealogy. I'm not going to read the entire genealogy here of Jesus, but just skip down to the end of it, please. Verse 38, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. This is the Word of God. Today we're going to talk about baptized into Christ. One of the big questions that all of us have to wrestle with, especially as we get older, there's the, you know, the kids are in here this morning, and so kids, as you, you're already there if you're in elementary school, but as you get older, you're going to want to ask and answer the question, who am I? Who am I? Where do I come from? One of, the, one of the tools that we use to answer that question is a genealogy. How many of you have done any genealogical work on your family tree? Anybody in here done that? Ancestry.com. Maybe you swabbed your cheek and sent it off to 23andMe, and, you, and now you know where you come from, right? Probably, probably more of us have than just raised our hand. Probably some of us can trace our lineage back generations and generations. Uh, my genealogy on my, on my dad's side, on the Walcott side, is a little bit impressive. I'm not up here to brag. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, uh, we can trace my paternal grandmother's side all the way back to the Mayflower. 
So pilgrims, I told Joy this past Thanksgiving I want to embrace more of my pilgrim heritage, so I'm looking to buy lots of big buckles, just lots of big buckles. Um, you know, a, a Walcott signed the Declaration of Independence. Ooh, yeah, yeah, I know, right? Yeah, so we, we look at our genealogy for, for the answer to the question, who am I? What am I like? We live in a culture that says, no, you are your own person, you're independent, you're an individual, but let, come on, let's just be honest. Every single one of us in here is here, literally here in Maryland, in America. You, you, are, you are physically what you are. You are personality-wise what you are because of the people you came from, right? We cannot deny that. Another thing that tells us who we are is baptism. Six people stood up there and declared who they are didn't they? We heard their identity. Here at Grace, when we baptize somebody, we, we, are, we are saying that they are in Christ. We are also saying that now they are in the church. That's one of the things we do here. Everybody that got baptized this morning is now a member of Grace Baptist Church. They are in Grace Baptist Church. That's part of their identity now. So, your genealogy, your baptism. These two things tell us who we are, especially as Christians, especially as Christians. We're going to have three points this morning. The first one will be Jesus was baptized into us as our substitute. Then we'll talk about we are baptized into Christ by the Spirit. And then number three, in Christ we can live as God's beloved children. So, point number one, Jesus was baptized into us as our substitute. So, Luke, these first three chapters, Luke is, is laying out the foundations of who Jesus is. Who is this person? And we've learned a lot so far, haven't we? With the birth narrative, uh, uh, he's, he's from Mary, he's from the heavenly Father. He is the Son of the Most High, but He is also the Son of the Virgin Mary. He is from the tribe of Judah, born in Bethlehem. We're starting to put the pieces of the puzzle together. Here, in His genealogy, we get a lot more pieces of the puzzle. Jesus is from David. Jesus is from Abraham. And then finally, verse 38, Jesus is from Adam. He is one of us. He is a human. He is a person. The gospel is for everyone because Jesus is a human being. Raise your hand if you're a human being. Okay. Because you are a human being, you can be saved. Praise God. Praise God. Because Jesus became a human being, you can be saved. His family tree, if, you, you know, if we went through all these names, uh, verses 23 through 38, we've got a whole bunch of nobodies. The second half of this genealogy, you, you cannot tell me who Canaan son of Arphaxad was. I dare you. I don't know who that was. <laughs> there is no record of half of these people anywhere. 
And then on top of that, we got people that we got, we got drunks in this list. We got liars in this list. We got rapists in this list. We got murder. We got, we got all the bad people in this list. And we got some saints too. We got some, some people that confessed and repented and, and were faithful to the Lord. Jesus's legacy, the, his family legacy is probably a lot like yours. <laughs> a little bit of a mix, right? But Jesus came to give us a new legacy, a legacy of reconciliation. You know, my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, Floyd Walcott, um, was not a great guy from my understanding to the point where when he died, he was buried in an unmarked grave until like 15 years ago. His grandchildren finally got around to buying a headstone for their grandfather. His wife, when she died a few years after him, wasn't buried next to him. She was buried with her parents because Floyd was a drunk. Floyd was a womanizer. My grandfather. My father, Harold Walcott, was on that same path until one day when he was in the Air Force, he received Jesus Christ. And a new legacy began. A new legacy began. So, I am, the, I am the son of Floyd. <laughs> I am the son of Harold. But through Harold's faith, I am now a son of God. Amen? Maybe you got a story like that. Maybe you, maybe you got this mix of legacies in your life. And so, Jesus' genealogy, but also his baptism, his baptism... John, we learned last week, John is baptizing for the forgiveness of sins. Do you remember that? People came to him to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Okay. Did, and we, and we know from this week that Jesus got baptized. Did Jesus need to be baptized for the forgiveness of his sins? No. No. So why did Jesus get baptized? It's a great question, isn't it? Why does he get baptized? In Matthew's gospel, the story has a, a few more details. Jesus comes up to John, baptize me, and John says, nope, you should baptize me. And Jesus says, no, to fulfill all righteousness, you need to baptize me. You see, Jesus is, ident remember, baptism is identity, identity. So, Jesus is identifying Himself first with us, with humanity. There needs to be a human that does everything right, that fulfills all righteousness, including getting baptized, getting baptized. And so, Jesus walked into those waters as one of us. He is identifying with the sinners, even though He is not a sinner, is He? He is not a sinner, but like Isaiah the prophet said, he is being counted amongst the transgressors, and he goes down into that water. But as he comes up out of the water, look again, look again at verses 21 and 22. The heavens are opened, the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove, and God speaks, the Father speaks. You are my beloved son, 
with, with you I am well pleased. So he goes into the water identifying with humanity, with sinful humanity, but when he comes up out of the water, he is now being identified as God, Son of God. Into the water, identity, identifying with us, identity with us, out of the water, identity with God. And, and God is saying, you are my son. You are my beloved servant. You please me. You see, Jesus is taking us back to what humanity was always supposed to be. We were always, why were we made? Why were we created? We were created to bring pleasure to God. We were created to love God and serve God and look like Dad and be like Dad and love like Dad and, and obey like Dad and care like Dad. We were supposed to be like our Heavenly Father, but you know the story. A Adam, the Son of God, verse 38, Adam, the Son of God, rebelled, didn't he? He rejected Dad. He rejected Dad's instruction. He, he rejected Dad's um, life in rejecting the tree of life and choosing the tree of knowledge. He said, I can do it my own way. I can be my own person. I can be my own individual. I can, I can literally be my own God. I can be like God. And in that rebellion, all of us now are born into that as children of Adam, sons of Adam, Jesus comes to reverse all of that and to be the Son, not just the divine Son in heaven, but the human Son that God wants us all to be. And so when He goes into those waters in baptism, it's a preview, isn't it? Pastor Bill said the baptisms we saw are a picture of the death and resurrection of Christ. So was Jesus' baptism. <laughs> it was a picture of his death, burial, and resurrection, isn't it? On the cross, he, go, he goes to the cross identified with the sinners, doesn't he? He became sin for us who knew no sin. So he goes as the sin, as the curse, your sin, my sin, and he is buried like going down into the waters and then he is raised to new life on Easter Sunday. And in Romans 1, Paul says, he was when he was raised, he was declared to be the Son of God in power. When Jesus, when Jesus comes out of the water, he is declared, the heavens open up, and he is declared to be the Son of God. When Jesus came out of the tomb, he was declared to be the Son of God in power. What does that mean? It means that now you can be, because Jesus is a sharer. <laughs> That's what He does. He's a giver. He's a sharer. He's saying, I'm going I'm to share this with you. Only somebody that was both man and God could be our substitute on that cross, and that's what His baptism is pointing to. You see, if Jesus isn't God, then He's not perfect. He's not the perfect Lamb. He's not spotless. He's not sinless. But if He's not human, then how can He be a substitute for humans? So He has to be both. 
He has to be God and man, and that's what He was. But Jesus' baptism is not just Him being baptized into us. Number two, we are baptized into Christ. So first, Jesus was baptized into us. And what do I mean by that? I mean He's identifying Himself with us. He's saying, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. So that now we can say, I am like Christ. I am one with Christ. And we call that baptism of the Spirit. Look back at verse 15, 16. Verse 15, the people are questioning John. Is he the Christ? Verse 16, John answers them saying, I baptize you with what? Water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit and fire. The Holy Spirit and fire. John is distinguishing between his external water baptism and Christ's internal spirit baptism the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He says it's a baptism of spirit and fire, and I would say that's the same thing. The Holy Spirit represented as fire in this case. So, what is a Christian? What is a Christian? Is a Christian someone who has received water baptism, or is a Christian someone who has received spirit baptism? And of course, the answer is spirit baptism. Water baptism is an act of obedience. Water baptism is a way of publicly professing. Water baptism is super important, but it does not save you, as Pastor Bill made very clear when he stood up there, right? Water baptism doesn't save us. Spirit baptism saves you. You have to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, if you are a Christian... Listen to me, if you're saying, I'm a Christian, but I'm not sure if I'm spirit-baptized, you are. Every Christian is spirit-baptized. 1 Corinthians 12, we all by one spirit have been baptized into one body, the body of Christ. We all, we all, every Christian, and the Corinthian Christians were a train wreck. So, uh, it, it wasn't like they were killing it at the spiritual life. They were a disaster, and yet they were baptized by the Spirit. Spirit baptism is a baptism into the death and resurrection of Christ. Look at Romans 6 up here on the screen. Romans 6, verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His what? Into His death. And then verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We are baptized into Christ's death. And I believe Paul is talking about spirit baptism here. He's talking about how when a Christian by faith receives Christ they are joined to Christ. They become one with Christ so that Christ's death becomes our death. 
Christ died, you died. Colossians 3.1, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. No, you haven't, Paul. <laughs> Paul wasn't, when he wrote that, he hadn't been crucified with Christ. In fact, he was never crucified. Why does Paul say that? Because he's one with Christ. He has been baptized into the death of Christ. What does that mean? It means that our identity has changed. Our identity has changed. We are now also, as a Christian, we are also crucified just as Christ has been crucified. We are identified with Christ's cross. We are identified with Christ's cross. Okay, what happened at Christ's cross? What happened at Christ's death? John calls it a baptism of fire, verse 16. Verse 17, he starts talking about judgment. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into the barn, and the chaff is going to be burned up. So he's describing a common agricultural practice. You grow the wheat. On the, on the head of the stalk of wheat, there's grain and there's chaff. Grain is valuable, of course. Chaff is pointless. We harvest the grain. We have a big open area. Maybe, maybe it's a platform we built. Maybe it's just a, a nice level dry spot. And we, we lay all the grain down and we, we cut off the heads, and we throw them in the air. And as the head of grain goes in, into the air, what happens? The chaff whew, blows away. The heavier grain drops back down. As John says, the grain is bundled up, gathered up, stored in barns. Why? Because it's good. It's valuable. God wants the grain. What happens to the chaff? It blows, and then we rake it up and light it on fire. Yikes. Not a pretty picture if you're chaff. If you're chaff. Unquenchable fire, John says. He says that's what Jesus is going to do one day. And Jesus will talk more about this himself how he will come with his angels and harvest everyone and separate wheat from chaff. Listen, here's the question. Are you wheat or are you chaff? Every human being born in Adam is chaff. The Bible describes us. It, sa it says that we are, we are born as sons of disobedience and children of wrath. We follow our father, the devil, Ephesians 2 says. Chaff is, chaff is weightless, pointless, meaningless. It has no glory. It, has, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't accomplish anything. Why? Because it, it doesn't last. Like in the book of Ecclesiastes, we're all just vapor. We're all just a breath. Or like in the Psalms, we're all just grass that withers. That's our life apart from God, isn't it? We're chasing things, chasing things, chasing things that in the end, they might satisfy for a little while, but eventually the glory runs out, doesn't it? 
The glory runs out eventually in all things unless that thing is totally perfect and everlasting. Something, for something to have ultimate meaning, ultimate purpose, it has, it has to be two things, doesn't it? And I say this all the time. It has to be perfect, and it has to last forever. And guess what, guys? There's only one thing in the universe that meets those two criteria. His name is God. God is perfect. God is forever. If your life is not attached to God, it's chaff. Your money's going to run out. Your health is going to run out. Your, your, your sexiness is going to run out. Your designer clothes are going to have to be replaced. If you live long enough, you lose everything, right? People on their deathbed are not trying to make investments, and they're not trying to buy new wardrobes. They're not on dating apps, swiping left and right. The question they have in the moment is, am I in God? right? Because they know at that point, by, by then they know everything else was chaff. Learn it now. <laughs> Kids, learn it now. <laughs> learn the lesson now. Listen, how do we survive the, the burning of the chaff? How do we survive the winnowing fork of Jesus? Be baptized into Christ be baptized into the death of Christ. Because what that means is Christ on the cross was judged. All of the sin was laid on Him, and it was judged so that when we are in Him, what does that mean? It means your sin has already been judged. Guess what? Your chaff has already been burned. So that in Christ, when you die, the chaff is already gone. (laughs) The sins are already paid for because you're in Christ. All all that's left is grain, beautiful grain that God gathers up and brings into His barn of love to live with Him forever. Amen. When When we receive Christ by faith, we are baptized into His death thus sharing the results of His death, the judgment of sin. When we receive Christ by faith, we're baptized, spirit-baptized, identified with His death. Now we share the results of His death, the judgment of sin. Christian, do you know that when you stand before God, He will not bring up your sin? Already been burned. Already been burned. Your chaff is gone. First John says it bluntly. If you don't believe me, First John says it. When, when Christ returns, He will not return to deal with sins. He's already done that. But He will return to gather up His own. Whew. Man, if that doesn't give you courage this morning, I don't know what… I, I got nothing. I got nothing else. That's it. That's the message. Not only are we baptized into the death of Christ, but Romans 6, 4, we're baptized into the death of Christ that we might be raised with Him and walk in newness of life. Walk in newness of life. So Jesus is our substitute in regards to our death, but He also gives us a new life. 
He gives us a new heart, a new existence. The Holy Spirit gives us a new life without shame, without guilt, because we've been cleansed by the Spirit. The Spirit gives us a new life of participation with God because we are indwelt by the Spirit, Holy Spirit God. The Holy Spirit gives us a new life of unconditional love because the Holy Spirit is pouring the love of God into our hearts. The Holy Spirit gives us a new life of freedom because He is the Spirit of liberty. The Holy Spirit gives us a new life of constant connection to God because when we don't know how to pray, He is praying for us. The Holy Spirit gives us a new life of enlightenment because He is teaching us and guiding us as we walk in the steps of the Spirit. And most importantly, the, new, the Holy Spirit is giving us a new life of transformation into the likeness of Jesus. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into His same likeness, and this comes from the Spirit. Christian, you have the spirit of sonship. You have the spirit of sonship. What does that mean? Hear it. Hear the heavens open. You are my son. With you, I am pleased. You are my daughter. With you, I am pleased. You are my child. With you, I am pleased. Christian, is God pleased with you? That was so weak. <laughs> Christian, is God pleased with you? Yes. Amen. Listen, everything the Father says about Jesus, He now says about you. Do you believe that? It's, it's hard to believe. I get it. It sounds way too good to be true. And guess what? It's not. It's good and it is true. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, you know, question one of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is the chief end of man? Question, what is the chief end of man? Answer, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Yes, you exist to enjoy God forever, but what if I told you that God is going to and is already enjoying you forever? Do you think God enjoys you? You need to. He does. He does. He's in love with you. He's madly in love with you. He's madly in love with you. You are His child. You were born of His Spirit. Oh, my goodness. Are you a child of God this morning? If you are not, if you are not, if you're still in Adam, if you're still chaff, if you're still chasing, chasing, chasing things that aren't eternal and aren't good, I beg you, 
Place your life into the hands of the good and glorious and forever God who is your Father, wants to be your Father, wants to adopt you. He wants to adopt you and bring you into His home and make you His. Can you embrace that this morning? I would submit to you, those of you that that are rejecting Christianity, I would submit to you, you don't have a better option. This is, this, is, this is a pretty good deal. <laughs> In fact, it's the best deal ever. Number three, in Christ, we can live as God's beloved children. In Christ, we can live as God's beloved children. Adam, the son of God. That means that all of us were meant to be sons of God, weren't we? We're all from Adam. You know that, right? There's only one human race. Everybody in here, black, white, brown, whatever, male, female, Jew or Greek, Scythian, barbarian, slave-free, whatever Galatians said that Andrew had us read. <laughs> Guess what? We're all from God, aren't we? In Him we move, move and live and have our being. So, the question is, are we able to live as sons and daughters of God? Well, in Christ, we are. In Christ, we are. When we're adopted by God, we are. A lot of us as Christians, we are, we are children of the King of the universe, but we don't, we don't act like it and we don't live like it, do we? We have everything in Christ, but we're, we worry, and we obsess, and we control, and we criticize, and we grumble, and we defend ourselves, and we're self-righteous, and, we, and we're trying to get ours, and we hoard, and we fail to share, and we self-protect. How much of your life is just the mental and physical energy of just trying to avoid suffering? I mean, think about it. How much of your life is spent on just trying to avoid suffering? And you're the child of the king. How much of your life is spent trying to avoid your own emotions, your own feelings? I don't want to do that because if it doesn't go well, I'll feel bad. Really, child of the king? Really? Human being who has everything from God your Father? You're trying to avoid feeling bad? That's, that's the motivation of your life? What if we could hear God saying what He said to Jesus when He came out of the water? You are my child. You please me. You please, I take pleasure in you. Listen, guess what? Jesus heard, Jesus heard those words. You know what the next story is, chapter 4? Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus, Jesus heard those words of affirmation before He did anything. You tracking with me? It wasn't after he comes out of the wilderness and passes the test and, and beats Satan, and then God says, that's my boy. I knew you had it in you. That's not the story. 
The story is, before Jesus starts his ministry, God is already affirming him, not based on anything he has done yet, but simply on who he is. You are my son. That pleases me. It's a short statement. It's not, you are my son, and I know that you're amazing, and you've done all these things, and you got straight A's, and you got accepted to the college, and you're the best one on your team, and, and you, you um, did a great job on that um, ministry or that event, or you've been really getting along better with your sip. No, that's not, none of that's in there. Listen, what if God is talking to you in the same way? He, I love you because I love you. I love you because of who you are, not because of what you've done. What might change if you could believe that? What might change if you could accept that in your heart today, Christian? Well, a couple thoughts. One, it might make us humble like John. What might change if we believe we are God's beloved child? Number one, we might become humble like John. Think about it. John's pastoring a mega church. He's a, he's a rock star. People are flocking to him. Outside, they're leaving Jerusalem, and they're going to him to his tent revival out in the desert. There wasn't a tent, okay? They're coming to him, and he says to Jesus, I am not even worthy to loosen his sandal. He's basically saying, I'm lower than the lowest slave, some of you need to hear today that everything you have comes from a loving and gracious Father, and you didn't earn any of it. So get over yourself. Be humble. You are not worthy to loosen the sandal of Jesus, and yet He loves you, and yet He loves you. Listen, Listen, Christian, you can't exalt Jesus and yourself at the same time. It's impossible. One of you is going lower while the other's going higher. If you want Christ to go higher, where do you have to go? Lower. That's just, that's just the nature of the gospel. Some of us need to hear that we have the Spirit and that that Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us, is like a dove. Did you catch that? When the heavens opened, the Spirit descended on Jesus like an eagle with sharp talons and a big beak ready to destroy all his... No. The heavens opened, and the Spirit descended like a vulture ready to pick at the scraps, a buzzard. No. How did the Spirit descend? A dove. A do-, do you know what a dove is? It's a pigeon. <laughs> They're literally like the same thing. <laughs> it's a pigeon. Pigeons don't have talons. Pigeons don't fight. Pigeons can't defend themselves. But you know what pigeons are? Pigeons will walk right up to you, won't they? <laughs> pigeons are smart. Pigeons are actually courageous. That's why, that's why homing pigeons. 
homing pigeons. In World War I, they used pigeons to send messages from the front lines, didn't they? If you've ever been to the Smithsonian, you've seen little Cher Ami, the homing pigeon, who carried the message that saved the lost battalion from destruction. One leg missing because he was shot by the Germans, and yet he courageously flew back, made it back home to deliver the message. Be a pigeon. Be gracious, helping, welcoming, embracing, courageous. Stop being eagles and vultures. Stop devouring one another. All of us, all of us, if we could just embrace what Christ has done, we could see that God is not God is not welcoming us into a relationship whereby we do more, try harder, get better. God is not promoting a religion of performance or enoughism. You got to be enough. Are you enough? Are you enough? Are you enough? That's what the world is selling us, isn't it? God doesn't need your righteousness. Listen to me. God doesn't need your righteousness. He has the righteousness of Jesus. Jesus is your substitute. Jesus alone fulfilled all righteousness. You never will. He does not need that from you, but He wants to give it to you. Do you hear the difference? If your relationship with God is one of, I got to be more righteous, I got to be more righteous, I got to be more righteous, you're missing it. You are not embracing sonship. You are not embracing, you are my child who pleases me, even though you haven't done anything yet. Instead, you need to embrace, thank you, God, for your unfathomable love and acceptance. Please let that make me righteous. Let that make me righteous. I hope you can hear that difference. In a second, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing, I will trust my Savior Jesus. A great line in this song. What could I bring for your gift is complete, so I trust you, simply trust you, Lord, with every part of me. Let that be our prayer as we sing and as we progress through life. Let's pray. Father, there is, there is nothing left for us to bring. We come to you today, this morning, like the prodigal, caked in mud, smelling like pigs. We took your money and ran. We rebelled. And in essence, we wished you were dead. We wished you were out of the picture. We decided we were too cool for you, too smart for you, too whatever. We followed our own hearts, and it was just chaff. And yet, Father, you have welcomed us home with zero expectation, zero earning, zero performance, zero enoughness, and you have clothed us with the robe of Christ, the ring of Christ, the sandals of Christ, and you have welcomed us to the feast of Christ. Jesus, you're the best big brother ever. Never jealous, never hoarding, never withholding, 
always giving, always sharing with us. Change us. May these truths capture our hearts. Capture our hearts. Make us humble. Make us doves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.